Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents The Big Four at Four. Number Four. Four o'clock hours here. Reno, Vegas, it's Cofield and Company. Adam Candy's here back in our Finley Toyota Studios. It is at our, check that, Damon. Adam's actually not in the studio. Damon. All right, big four. Let's start with number four as uh, we will get to the big news of the day. Sean Payton hired by the Broncos. Amico Ryans goes to the Texans. I did want to mention one thing, Candy. I saw someone kind of add up. Uh, what just happened the last couple of years with the Broncos to acquire both Russell Wilson and Sean Payton. Hmm. Wilson plus Payton ultimately cost them three first-round picks, three second-round picks, plus Bradley Chubb. Is that too high? <laughs> that's also that's also a very generous to the other team's reading of it, considering they got a first-round pick back in the Chubb deal. They end up spinning around there, but... Of, look, what if I had asked you that question last offseason? You would have thought, oh, man, look exactly. at that. Russell Wilson and Sean Payton, the Broncos are set for five years. Yeah, We don't know. Maybe Russ is cooked. Maybe he's not. But we're about to find out because you just handed Sean Payton, a guy who looks a whole lot like what the falling down version of Drew Brees did. Yeah, I... Uh... I like the Russell Wilson deal. I don't hate it now. I think most people hate it more than I do, but that was the cost at the time. So you can't go back and look at one-year results you know, over the course of whatever it's going to be here, six years, and say it's over, it's a ripoff. Um, well, let's get to more of this with Miles Simmons in just a little bit. So we got VGK in a bit of a swoon here. I know the morning show was asking the question, is Bruce Cassidy on the hot seat? Is he on the hot seat? No. Bruce Cassidy is he gonna get fired? Is he going to get fired soon? No, Bruce Cassidy should not be on the hot seat. He should not be fired soon. I, I understand that everybody right now is going to go ahead and look at what happened with Jim Montgomery in Boston and say, oh, Bruins are the best team in the league now that Bruce Cassidy's gone. They're going to look at Pete DeBoer in Dallas and go, oh, old Vegas coach looks like he's doing pretty well. And then you're going to see Vegas in a swoon and say, oh, it's Bruce Cassidy. No, this is a team that's 2-6-2. Two, in its last 10, and I got another shocker for you. They're hurt again. They're injured yep. again. And we're not hearing about the injuries the way we did last year. It's not the same cluster injuries, but it's the same key players. Once again, for a while, it was Martinez. It was Stone and is Stone. It's a different back injury than last time with Stone, and the last we've heard is that he's not expected back until after the All-Star break. And the thing is, they've made their bed with this core. The cavalry is not coming. Wayne Gretzky ain't walking through that door. Connor McDavid ain't walking through that door. Because this team has $96 million in projected cap hit at the end of this year. By far the highest projected cap hit in the league. And I know that's all a little bit of voodoo math. But in the end, you only next year have three players coming off that cap. And none of them are significant players to the Golden Knights. So you're bought in with who you have here. So the Golden Knights can't help for help from anywhere but within, and it gets scarier and scarier when you keep talking about a chronic injury like a back with a guy like Mark Stone who's here to be your leader. 
number three. So we're going through this dance again with Bishop Gorman where people in the north part of the state think it's unfair that, you know, Gorman is playing public schools. In Clark County, especially, folks are not happy about it. So what's the latest on this one with some sort of scheduling thread? What is it, Candy? I'm going to give the disclaimer that I usually give when I have these discussions when I start, Cofield. I am a Bishop Gorman grad, so use that to inform your opinion about this however you like. (laughs) But this proposal that got put forward to the NIAAA essentially would realign things so that Bishop Gorman as a member of the top division in the NIAA, would only be allowed to play one out-of-state game per year, which goes against everything about the ethos that Gorman has built as this national powerhouse. And I tell this story all the time. I went to Gorman in the mid-90s. I was there for four years like most students, and we did not make the zone playoffs a single time in those four years. Not even the zone playoffs... So this is a relatively new thing that Gorman is this level of dominant. And I don't think that anyone should begrudge Gorman becoming this level of a national power. Oh, he's a shill. He's an alum. Wait, I have a twist for you. But if you want to go be a national power, then you're not competing on the same level anymore. And the public schools have every right to be upset. And every right, when they've been outscored by Gorman over the last few years by hundreds of points to try to fight back. I was standing on the sideline a couple of years ago during Gorman's homecoming game, and I watched them against Clark, and they were up 35-0 against Clark coming toward halftime. And poor Clark was about to have to punt the ball back again with a minute to go, but the clock was running. And I watched the then Bishop Gorman head coach come screaming down the sidelines to the official to call a timeout so that Gorman could get the ball back one more time and score one more time on Clark before halftime. Those are the sorts of things that are going to get people upset at you. And so if the public schools want to have a way to compete, I understand that. If Gorman wants to be a national power, I understand that, and no one should begrudge them that. But putting them in the same pot together, you can't cook that up and make it anything worthwhile. Aside from winning championships and, and the playoffs, I don't really understand what the is it how many games is the total? Is it five or six against local competition? During the regular season. Well if you're playing conference, yeah. Uh, it would yeah. essentially put them in a spot where they would be playing even more than that. So essentially yeah. anybody on that well, division, what, they go what play non the kids games. These kids come from out of state. Like what are you actually doing for those five games? What competition are you providing if no one can really hang with them? And that's essentially what Gorman would argue is to say, well this isn't you know this isn't good for us, this isn't good for the state. Right, like We need to be able to put the state up on a higher level. But the thing is, this is not a rising tide situation. Gorman right. can recruit not only nationally, but they can recruit at any level here, middle school level, whatever, current high school level. And that's just something that the public high schools can't do in the same way. And I understand where the anger comes from. I get it. But I also don't think Gorman should be begrudged in any way for what it's built but that doesn't mean that the kids who go to other schools shouldn't have an opportunity to play for something, too. Number two. East-West Shrine Week. Pro game, uh, Pro Bowl games. Pro Bowl games. I got to get a hang there on. There it is. Pro Bowl games week in Las Vegas. And Tyler Huntley, Ravens backup quarterback, is in, Candy. You know, let's, let's just take everyone in the league, throw them into a hat, draw out a name and say, you get to be a Pro Bowl representative. 
Tyler Huntley threw two touchdown passes this year. Tyler Huntley was, I could throw all the PFF numbers at you, but he was noticeably worse in 2022 than he was in 2021. And he is the sixth alternate to go to the Pro Bowl. Hey, by the way, Derek Carr's going too. Uh, for anybody in Vegas who missed Derek Carr, you're going to get to see him one more time at the uh, Pro Bowl games. So why are we doing this anymore? Really? Why are we doing this? Josh Allen's skipping it. Josh Allen's not going. He's going to Pebble Beach. I'd go to Pebble Beach too. He's not going to come. So you got Trevor Lawrence, you got Snoop Huntley, and you got Derek Carr as the Pro Bowl games representative. So they'll be the ones out there throwing in this glorified American superstars look that, that we're doing for the Pro Bowl. Why? What's the point? The players have told you. The players are telling you they don't care about this. They don't want to be there, and they don't care about going, whether it's in Vegas or not. So why are we still doing this corporate marketing exercise when no one wants to be there? But you don't think Josh Allen is a jerk for not going to this thing? No. Where, where would you go if you had the choice? Come on. You'd go Off. play Pebble Beach Pro-Am? Throw the game. Grow the game. Yes, Josh Allen certainly hasn't done his part to grow the game in the National Football League. Okay, come on, man. I mean, look, it's a glorified fan fest. I mean, at least at least in the other sports, we have found ways to make it interesting with the Elam ending and the NBA. The NHL All-Star game is thrown in a bunch of other fun skills competitions. But no one cares. The players don't care. The players at least care in the other sports to some varying degree. They don't care about this. When's the last time you saw the NBA have an All-Star weekend that looks like what's going to happen with the AFC QB Pro Bowl roster? It never happens. Number one. All right, Candy, what's the latest with Derek Carr and the Raiders? Because as we know, if, well... Both sides have a choice here. They can work with each other, and maybe it works out better for Derek Carr. If he opts into his contract, he could be owed three years, $118 million. There's also a belief, and I don't know if Team Carr is on board with this, that Carr goes outright free agency and can make the same money. I don't believe that, but right now it might be all moot because it doesn't look like they're willing to work with each other. Yeah, this is an ugly situation that just got uglier, Steve, and, and I don't like the look from McDaniels and Ziegler here. SI reports and Vic Tafer amplifies that the Raiders essentially are not allowing Derek Carr's agent to seek out trade partners right now. And we all know they have a few days after the Super Bowl to figure this whole situation out or reportedly Derek Carr will be cut. And so from the Raiders' perspective, you bench Derek Carr at the end of the year, you make it clear he's not coming back. It's an inglorious end in a situation that frankly there probably wasn't going to be a pretty way to do it, but there sure as hell is a way to make it uglier. And that's what's happening right now. If you're going to make it more difficult for Derek Carr to find a new place to play, then you're really basically saying not only to him and to every other player who might come in here, we don't care. And maybe that's the Patriot way. Maybe that's the Belichick way and just carries over here that when you're gone, you're gone. And that's just your problem to deal with afterward. But it would seem to me that for Derek Carr's years of service to this franchise in multiple cities, the least that the Raiders could do is try to make this situation a little bit simpler for him. All right. First of all, how are they making it more difficult for Derek Carr if they're not cutting him on, you know, August 15th? He's going to be cut plenty early. And there is a thought out there that there's going to be an intense competition for Derek Carr and he's going to get big money. So what's the big deal? The big deal is that they are not playing ball with what he wants. And I understand that. Do we know? We definitely know that he, he wants to opt in on this contract and, and go somewhere with for 3 118. 
We know this is the case. Well, we know that what's left on that contract, you opt in if you want. There's still no guarantees on that contract. Right? Like that, that contract does not include any guaranteed money at this right, point. Good point. And that's yep. really what's in this for Derek Carr in the end. He signed a five-year deal that we know was a series of one-year deals by the way it was structured. But ultimately, what Derek Carr wants is some level of security in whatever place he's choosing to go, and he doesn't have a full choice in that. I'm not sure they owe him anything. Because I still believe there's a story beneath the, the all the stories over the years that Mark Davis could be irked, and more recently Ziegler and McDaniels could be irked at Derek Carr and his behavior away from the field. And I still can't come to grips with who made the choice to leave the team the last two weeks of the season. Derek Carr. One side, so one side has to take the high road; the other side doesn't. What's the high road in this situation? The, the high road is that Derek Carr should keep showing up to the facility for what? What what purpose was he going to serve? Was was he going to be some sort of casino greeter to just look good in the situation? It's, it's all performative. I mean, really, it's all just a show at that point if Derek Carr keeps showing up in that situation. We'll carry this over to Miles Simmons in just a couple minutes. Big 4-4 four four is brought to you by our friends at Battleborn. Injury lawyers, offices in Reno and in Las Vegas. Call from anywhere in the state, 766-1400. Cofield and Company NFL insider, Miles Simmons from Pro Football Talk, joins us now. All right, here we go. Miles, what's up, buddy? Hello, guys. Uh, That is one of my favorite songs, She Wants to Move by NERD off the album Fly or Die 2004. Damn, that was quick. Mm -hmm. Name that tune. Name that too. Mm-hmm. So Candy and I were just talking about the uh, the Raiders and Carr in a disconnect on helping each other, and then Candy and I were in a disconnect because I don't really get what Candy's saying here. Candy, can you explain again to Miles what's happening and why you think it's wrong on the Raiders' part? So ultimately, what we've seen reported, and we'll let you weigh in on this part and what you what you've seen, what you've heard, and what you think is that the Raiders are not allowing Derek Carr's agent to seek a trade at the moment, and uh, essentially they're going to uh, respond to Carr being uh, unwilling to play ball with them by being unwilling to play ball with him. And I'm just I'm confused by the way it's all playing out. It, it, feels like, it feels like the Raiders, if they're saying they're done with Derek Carr, should be cooperating in whatever way they can to get him a new landing spot, but maybe that's just me feeling all warm and fuzzy about a business that's more of a business than uh, than I expect it to be. Well, I, I don't know if you're feeling warm and fuzzy. I think it's kind of the only way that the Raiders can really get something before this, you know, deadline that they have um, uh, agreed to. Uh, well, with before the guarantees kick in, right? You got the 40.4 million. The Raiders have basically already decided that they are done with Carr. They decided that in December, if not before, but when they benched him, that was the signal that they were done with Derek Carr. So if you're going to trade him, unless you are going to, as Mike Florio and I were kind of throwing around on uh, this morning's edition of PFT Live, which you can go watch right now on Peacock if you like, but unless the Raiders are going to squat on this contract, and then say, you know, basically look Derek Carr in the face and dare him to be like, all right, well, you say you want to play, but we have your contract and we're going to wait until all the musical chairs 
are done in early March with all the free agents, and then we're going to send you somewhere else, and we're basically going to decide where we're going to send you, and you can waive your no trade clause or whatever if you want, or if you don't want, then that's fine. But if you want to play, then this is where you're going to have to go. Then that's kind of the game of chicken that they're playing. Otherwise, they're going to have to release him when it comes to February 15th and the guarantees kick in if they don't want to be on the hook for that. Because, I mean, it's just this weird game here where you have decided that you're going to get rid of the quarterback, that you're going to move on from the quarterback, I guess I should say. And you have not really allowed yourself any reason to be like, well, let's get something out of this before the start of the new league year starts. It's just, it's a weird situation. And I don't know why if I'm a team, I would be interested in talking with Dave Ziegler or Josh McDaniels, whoever to negotiate something where I don't know if the quarterback is really interested in my team and he has a no trade clause. <laughs> so like what I, I don't, yeah. you're either going to release him when it's February 15th, or you're going to squat on this contract and dare him to not play or whatever it is. I don't know. And to be clear, squatting on the contract means the guarantee is kicking in, correct? Yes, it does. And it's sort of the same situation that we saw last year with Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns, where they want, they basically knew that they were going to have to eat some of Baker Mayfield's contract. Now, they ended up having to eat a lot less than they would have otherwise when they were able to offload that contract to the Carolina Panthers. But I think Derek Carr is not the same sort of caliber quarterback as Baker Mayfield. And also the salary is double what Baker Mayfield made. I mean, you are talking about a little bit under 20 million versus 40.4 million. So it's a weird situation and I don't quite understand it. What is it that teams around the league view Derek Carr as, do you think, Miles? Because it seems to me, I understand you're saying, yeah. it's not the same as Baker Mayfield. I think we can all agree on that, that Baker Mayfield's star had waned quite a bit more than that uh, Derek Carr did not have a great season it was one of his worst seasons in the last five or six years but it seems to me from the rumors that we read and hear that Derek Carr is still viewed as someone's what two-year three-year answer in the game of musical chairs that you mentioned I, I think that he could at, at least be that and I think that you look at what Derek Carr did in 2021 under an offense where he was obviously very comfortable with the play caller he was also comfortable with and a situation where he had to step up as a leader and do things that were pretty unprecedented right when you have your head coach have to step down when you have one of your star receivers be involved in the accident that he was involved in. So I, I think that there are certain ways where you can look at this year where it was a new system, a new head coach with Josh McDaniels, and for whatever reason it didn't work out. I don't think that that means Derek Carr is not a viable quarterback. I had people, my Twitter mentioned yesterday being like, oh, free agency is not going to be a winning proposition for Derek Carr. There is no way that Derek Carr is going to get less than $40.4 million guaranteed as a free agent. Just just none. So if you think that, you're, you're in fantasy land. He is a good enough quarterback that he can command some sort of guarantees on the open market. And I don't know if he'll have more than one suitor, but there will at least be one team that is going to be willing to give him uh, some guarantee money because a, a lot of this league 
has instability at quarterback. There are very few, there are probably fewer teams with stability at quarterback than instability right now. So I think Derek Carr can come in and help stabilize a situation, whether it's the Jets, whether it's Washington, whether it's perhaps Carolina, I don't know, but somebody's going to want Derek Carr. Uh, yeah, Miles, it seems to me that say you're a franchise that wants to go draft Anthony Richardson this year and you don't think Anthony Richardson's going to be ready in year one, you're the kind of team that should be looking at Derek Carr. You're the kind Absolutely. of team that can bring him in and say, Derek Carr's going to give us a couple of years while we figure out exactly what we have with this ultra-talented young prospect. And and to me, it's it's something that seems to make sense, especially when we look at uh, the situation that the teams in that spot are going to find themselves in. Now, it's a lot different, Miles, when we talk about what's happening right now uh, with the Eagles and Chiefs because we hear a lot about this storyline with Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes, and we have two black quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. And the Athletic did an interesting sit-down, I thought, with Doug Williams, who uh, obviously the first black Super Bowl-winning quarterback, and they asked him about the significance. And you know, among parts of the quote, he says he's not surprised that it hasn't that it's taken this long. He said, "Quote: Whether they want to admit it or not, it's always been a league with the mentality of we don't know if a black man can lead us." And, and Miles, I, I found it interesting because we're going to see this angle puffed up, and I know the league is going to probably want to ride this wave, and yet. It's still the same league that has not, let's say, found a place for Colin Kaepernick uh, over time. How do you see the the dance that the league kind of would have to do in order to promote this while still being, let's say, maybe not trusted on this angle? Well, I don't know that the league should be trusted on the angle because it really was not that long ago that even Lamar Jackson was being thought of as some by somebody who was very prominent in a, you know, media role and won a Super Bowl not that long ago. And his name is Bill Polian, that he should be a wide receiver or running back instead of a quarterback and then look at what Lamar Jackson has done. He's a very good quarterback. He's one of the most talented quarterbacks in the National Football League. So yeah, it's really not that far removed from that. And the fact that it is 2023 and we are a hundred plus seasons into the NFL and we are, I think what, 50, I don't know, seven Super Bowls now into this thing. And this is the first time that it's going to be black quarterback versus black quarterback. That says a lot about the league as well. So. I mean, it is something to be celebrated. It is it is progress, you know. I, but at the same time, it you look at what Steve Wilkes is going through, for instance, mm-hmm. not getting that job with the Carolina Panthers. You look at uh, the fact that um, Brian Flores is still suing the National Football League, and he's not even a defensive coordinator right now. There is still a lot of progress that the NFL needs to make. Rapid fire here in the last couple of minutes with Miles Simmons from PFT Pro Football Talk. First, Sean Payton hired by the Broncos, so the Broncos get it right. They didn't give up too much for him, right? A one, a two, and a three. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, I don't, I don't know that Sean Payton's the magic elixir. You know, I mean, I think that the Saints were competitive most of the time under his tenure, but there were some seven and nine years in there. Um, and the, obviously, the biggest thing is, is he going to be able to fix Russell Wilson? I don't know if he's going to be able to do that. But after they, if Wilson is not great this year, and then they get rid of him after next year, then you, you probably are going to see a different kind of team. D'Amico Ryan's to the Texans. You like it for D'Amico Ryan's? 
Um, I like it in the sense that he they're going to have patience with him. The reported yeah. deal was six years. It's basically something that they had to do in order to get a head coach after you go one and done two years in a row. I believe San Francisco did something very similar with Kyle Shanahan, giving him a six-year deal after they had gone one and done with Jim Tom Sula and then uh, Chip Kelly um, before the 2017 season. So he's a basically a homegrown product right used to play for the texans it's a nice story he's obviously a great defensive coordinator and you like to think that he can be a good head coach too pft's plans for the super bowl what do you got cooking Man, we're going to be down there on Radio Row uh, oh. in Phoenix. So, yeah, I will be there. I will be doing Peter King's podcast also next week. So there's plenty of good stuff lined up. We will have it all for you on Peacock. And also check out that NFL on NBC YouTube page. Damn, I hope you have time for us. We're going to be on Radio Row as well. Oh, I guess. I'm sure we'll, we'll meet same time, but in a different place and in person. <laughs> such such phony enthusiasm. It was, I know, but it wasn't phony. I actually am excited for that. We haven't done a real live hit in person since, what, 2019? 2020, it's early 2020, it'll be great. Been forever. All right, Miles, we appreciate it. Thank you. See you next week. <laughs> All right, take care, guys. Safe and actually, mean it. We'll, we'll see him next week. Miles Simmons and PFT will be on uh, Radio Row as ESPN Las Vegas will, and uh, Rainer Nation Radio will be down there uh, as well. JT The Brick. Q Myers, myself, uh, Damon, Jared, and hopefully a ton of guests and good features throughout the week in Phoenix. This hour is brought to you by Battleborn Injury Lawyers. Nevada Sports Talk Hour, 766-1400 is the number. They're, our office is now in Reno and in Las Vegas with Battleborn Injury Lawyers. It's Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Cofield and Company rolling on here in the uh, Reno Las Vegas hour, ESPN Reno and ESPN Las Vegas. Damon is uh, running things back in our Finley Toyota studios. Shrine Bowl this week in Las Vegas, really good cause. We'll tell you more about the cause in a couple minutes, but... Uh, Boy, dozens and dozens and dozens of awesome players coming out of college football draft hopefuls, and we got a chance to talk to some of the uh, Mountain West Conference folks who are playing in the game. Uh, that includes the Fresno State crew. There's three of them, two of the receivers, Romihi O and Moreno Cropper, but also the running back, Jordan Mims, and John Vontobel had a chance to catch up with uh, Jordan Mims and just talked about the offense and how much they're giving you and kind of a, a, a fake install and how much more complicated – uh, the pros are versus college football when it comes to offense. Yeah, like, of course, they're not giving us a huge, big install. Yeah. You know, we're not using the longest plays ever. Um, but the play calling and the verbiage is a little bit different for sure. So let's talk about your season at Fresno State because it was a wild one. So you guys start one and four. You rip off the nine straight wins. You know, you do what you do. Let's go back to the one and four start. Jake goes down to Jake Hayner. What's the mindset like for the team after you go one and four after the loss to Boise, and also for you, right? Like that's your last year. Like after the first five games when you're in that position, what are you thinking? Um, obviously, it's being tough when you have you know your, your quarterback you know go down in a situation like he did, um, and you know it kind of was at the time it was like the next man up mentality. You know we still have games to play, we still have our goals in front of us, and you know. And at the end of it, we did achieve, you know, our goals, which is win the Mountain West and then win our bowl game. So 
you know, I think we just, a lot of the seniors, we kind of just stick together and kind of had to take that, you know, charge and, you know, kind of cheer everybody up um, when that did happen. In terms of your individual game, so I, running backs are a really fascinating position, but I think one of the unheralded things you guys have to do a lot, pass blocking. Sure. It's one of the things that I like to talk to running backs a lot about because we don't really talk to you guys a lot about that. So first off, you as a pass blocker, where do you think you stand in terms of your game? And, like, has it been tested at all while you're out here at the weekend? And how much of that is evaluated, like hardcore out here in these practices? No, for sure. Um, our first, you know, two you know, practices we work, did work on, you know, pass protection, or today and then yesterday when we were in pads, four pads, we worked on pass protection. Um, really just, you know, getting back into it. Obviously, we haven't played our bowl games in over a month and stuff like that. So, a little, you know, rusty here and there, but just really getting the technique down or, you know, closing space and, you know, striking, you know, that man and kind of taking a half, you know, body of him. But it's been pretty um, good. Um, I think I showed on the film that I can, you know, pass block, you know, at a high level for sure. So the other incredible thing about your game that I think it's, it's a 260 attempts this year, not a single fumble? <laughs> I, I, I would just just how like how does that happen I, I don't know we, you know we kind of harped on you know ball security and you know me personally I of course you know want the ball on the ground you know it makes the team look bad and then myself look bad so you know I kind of just harped on that and you know taking care of the ball the ball is the team so I think Jordan Mims has a chance to be a pretty good player in the NFL Ronnie Rivers got some time the uh, running back for the last couple of years at Fresno State Candy and in the case of Mims uh, he doesn't look like a big guy, but actually has pretty good size at six foot and two hundred five, and he's a modern day back where he can run between the tackles and also catch the ball out of the backfield. And apparently, um, he's pretty confident in his blocking. So we'll see if another Fresno State running back can make the NFL and uh, actually make a career of it. You know, the most important thing I think is what JVD talked about with the ball security. There, I mean, you talk about the two things that are going to get a rookie running back on the field. It's going to be taking care of the football, and it's going to be ability and pass protection because those are the two things we always hear about young players and why they're not getting opportunities is because they can't excel in those two areas. Yeah, Dorian Thompson Robinson from UCLA and Vegas is in the game. Uh, Aiden O'Connell is one of the quarterbacks from Purdue. Uh, there's a lot of stars on both sides of the ball and I know you've been around the Shrine Bowl it's it's a pretty cool event because all of the ticket proceeds from Thursday's games go to the Shriners hospitals that's awesome and we know what a great cause that is from uh, their years of the PGA Tour event here and you know look anytime these kids are gonna get an opportunity to showcase their skills and have one more chance to put themselves with level competition and to show what they can do in front of people who are decision makers it's great Willie Ramirez from the company, uh, Cofield Company, is going to be out tomorrow between 9 and 11. That's our official media day, so upwards of uh, 70, 80, 90 players, actually more than that. Um, over 150 players will be there. Um, and this is after the last couple of days, because not only what, you know, do they work with the NFL people, but they get to meet the kids who have uh, you know, been treated by Shriners Hospitals, are going through treatment with Shriners Hospitals. So we'll get to talk about those experiences tomorrow with Willie Ramirez, who will be out uh, at Allegiant Stadium, where the game is being played at on Thursday. You can buy tickets for the game Thursday, 5.30 kickoff, Ticketmaster.com. It's Ticketmaster.com. They start as low as $19 plus fees. And, again, all of the event or all of the um, ticket revenue for the 98th East-West Shrine game goes to the Shriners Children's Hospital. So buy the tickets, go out to the game. It's Ticketmaster.com. Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, back here at Cofield and Company, Reno, Las Vegas. Uh, I'm here in Fort Collins. We've got a big night of college basketball in the Mountain West Conference 
Uh, one of the games includes the Nevada game at Lawler against San Diego State. SDSU is back in town for the uh, – or is in town for the second of the two-game series in conference. I caught up with uh, Tom Mosser, who does really good work for the Mountain West Wire, to preview all four games tonight and started off the conversation with um, – yeah, basically, I wonder what happens tonight against San Diego State for Nevada because game one was not an easy one for the Pack. Well, as you said, it was not an easy game. The, the final score, if you just look at the box score, you see a 74-65 final. But if you watched the game, it was not competitive for, for most of the 40 minutes. Uh, a late flurry by Nevada cut it to the nine-point deficit. But they were really frustrated. The physicality of the San Diego State defense bothered the guards of Nevada. Um, Williams, I'm sorry, excuse me, Lucas and Blackshear, I think, shot a combined nine for 28. Um, and, and that's what San Diego State does to you now. Uh, they were able to play a little more physical being at home. Sometimes uh, that may not translate on the road. Uh, but clearly, uh, Nevada's going to have to get those guys going tonight if they want a chance. Yeah, that was my worry for Nevada going into the UNLV game. I'm a, a gigantic fan of having good guards, good point guards, depth at point guard. And the way this roster was built by Steve Alford, he's using 6'6", 220-pound uh, Keenan Blackshear at point, And he had a boatload of trouble against the Rebels, and as you pointed out, he was 6 of 18 in this game against uh, San Diego State the first time around. I don't know what they can do to change things because they really don't have a true point guard outside of uh, Pettigrew coming off the bench. I just think it's a it's a bad matchup for a ball-hawking defense that absolutely does not allow you to get downhill uh, and go into the lane you know, unchecked because Blackshear will try to drive, but he's going he's gonna to meet up against three guys in the lane. Yeah, Blackshear, he's got an NBA type of offensive game, right? He wants to take his time, back you down. He's got the side to do it, as you said, handling the ball at 6'6", but that's not really going to work against San Diego State. And as you said, watching certainly Saturday night in Vegas, it did not work against UNLV. Uh, it was a very physical game. You can probably expect the same thing tonight. Um, and, yeah, so, um, you know, Alfred has the, uh, Hunter McIntosh was a transfer brought into point guard, but he's out for the year, and it's forced his hand. And so he, he runs a tall lineup out there, but it's not it's not really a traditional small point guard that you will see. You know, he'll face Tremel tonight from San Diego State, who's got a, a massive quickness advantage then. Um, and it, it's not going to be great matchup uh, guard-wise out front for Nevada. Now, the one advantage for the pack is the fact that San Diego State – can be completely up and down offensively. I mean, the last two games, they were at 46% last time out, 38% the game before that. There's been weird games recently where Bradley and Butler will combine for 35 points, and then other nights they combine for 13. So Nevada does play really good defense, and they can match the physicality. So I wonder what happens if Matt Bradley, who's a, you know, a streaky guy, if he just doesn't play well, then the pack have a chance to be right there. Yeah, so I wrote in my preview for Mountain West Wide. I, I don't think either team gets to 70 tonight. I think it's a, a, a rock fight. I don't, I don't. I think we'll get into the sixes. I don't think you're looking at 52-49, but I think team both teams will struggle to score. Um, you know, so Adam Seiko came off the bench and hit seven threes the other <laughs> night. Right. Uh, that was against Utah State. But let's face yeah. it, Nevada's defense is certainly a lot better than Utah State. So um, I don't think you're going to get uh, Seiko coming off the bench and, and, and firing yeah. uncontested threes. That is the crazy thing with San Diego State. They've got a rope and Seiko who are both pushing like 27 years old now. And yeah. every once in a while they have these games where a rope will have, you know, nine rebounds and four blocks. And then Seiko, every 10th game goes crazy from three. So I'm in uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. Colorado State's taking on UNLV. UNLV's got the better overall record at 14 and seven, but they're basically even uh, in the conference and CSU beat 
UNLV down at the Thomas and Mac in overtime. Isaiah Stevens was just awesome at eight of 16 from three. He's been a matchup nightmare for the Rebels over the years. So I, I would expect him to have another big game. And that means that Colorado State has a really good chance to win this game. I mean, they're favored in the game. So they have to stop Isaiah Stevens, find some way to do it. Right. I was a little surprised, to be honest, that, that Colorado State was favored. Sure, they're at home. Uh, but UNLV, they really may have saved their season last week. They were coming in on a massive slide. I kind of thought that Wyoming would give them problems on Tuesday night or when, uh, Tuesday night. Um, UNLV, you know, put that away with no problem. And then they come back and really get a, a signature win over a good Nevada team. Granted, it was at home. They looked really well. They, they played excellent defensively. They made shots. I mean, you know, you, you look at the stats and you're not sure how great of a shooting team the uh, UNLV is. But, but it's it's who is shooting the ball. When, if you watch the games as a neutral observer, and you watch Justin Webster or Jordan McCabe, and they get an open look, you just expect it to go in eight out of ten times. Those guys are just on. Sometimes it's the wrong guy shooting the ball for UNLV. Um, so I kind of think that, that they might get some points tonight if, you know, maybe they'll let Stevens go for 30 and they just have to kind of shut down Cartier and the other guys for, uh, for the Rams. Yeah, Webster's on fire right now. He's over 50% for the season from three, and I think uh, last seven games he's 18 of 29. Other positive for the Rebels' positives, uh, one, Elijah Barquet is back, and his numbers may not mean anything to people outside the program, but he's the primary on-ball defender, so he wasn't around for that first CSU game. And it's weird. Um, it turns out the Rebels had a lot of depth. They just hadn't tapped into it because they didn't trust him on defense, but Keyshawn Hall and Shane Noel off the bench are absolute X-factors now. Their contributions are massive. Totally. And I, I had actually sent you a, a, a tweet about that the very first time that he used Hall. Uh, that was a couple weeks back, maybe in the Utah State game. They ended up losing that game, but he had a huge impact in the first half. And Noel, uh, with eight points the other night against Nevada, made a couple open threes, and he made some other plays as well. So, as you said, Coach Kruger, he wants to stress defense. I've been a part of staffs and myself where if you don't play defense, you're not going to get on the floor. But something needed to change a little bit in rotation. You know, the injury to Luis Rodriguez kind of opened up some minutes. And, you know, before that, he just decided to give Hall a chance inside. And those two have really earned their minutes. And I wouldn't see anything changing moving forward for the Rebels. Tom Osters with his Mountain West Wire. Um, let's talk about the other two games in the Mountain West Conference tonight. You may not think Fresno and Wyoming is big, but it is big for those teams because you're absolutely in a war now to get off of that Wednesday, Mountain West Conference Tournament Day. Uh, you have almost no shot to win the tournament, you know, going four wins. Uh, this is the absolute definition, Tom, of offense versus defense. Fresno is 98% defense. They're rough. They're tough. They're big. And Wyoming, I don't think, plays good defense at all, but they're capable of any game of going 12, 13, 15 made threes. Absolutely. They, they just try to space the floor out now without Graham Ike, who we don't know if we'll see him or not, but without Ike on the floor, they just completely spread it out and they, they fire from deep. They hit a ton against UNLV. It wasn't enough because, like you said, their defense is kind of sieve-like. So not having Ike's had, had another trickle-down effect that's moved bodies around. They're playing in different positions. The depth is not there. They had other injuries, not just Ike. So, you know, their defense just has not been up to par. But that will be interesting tonight, right, because Fresno State – they are as as poor a shooting team as you can find. The stats bear that out. So it's like it's the opposite of the immovable object and the irresistible uh, foot, right? It's just I, I don't know what the opposite of that is, but it, that's what you would see because I don't know, you know, is it going to be the better Fresno offense or the worse uh, Wyoming defense? Uh, what we'll see tonight. Based on what I saw up close, I think Boise State is a tick better than San Diego State. They're going to meet their uh, two meetings are in 
February. But it, those are just the games I got to see close up. I think Boise's great. I actually don't mind laying eight on the road at Air Force. My only hesitation in this game is it is a look-ahead spot. I just mentioned February meetings against San Diego State. That is the next game for Boise State at the end of this week in a Friday showcase game. I worry about that a little bit, but Boise is way ahead of Air Force. Well, Boise, they're just clicking on on cylinders right now. Uh, they don't have a lot of depth, um, but they just they just play to Leon Rice's system. So, you know, Air Force is a very difficult offense to defend. And on Friday night in the pit against New Mexico, they kind of took New Mexico apart, back cuts, uh, open threes, screens, lack of communication. They had 18 assists on 26 made field goals, pretty high percentage. Uh, New Mexico got lost a little bit defensively. Boise, they're, they're not overly aggressive. They're not going for steals. They're just trying to play good, solid position defense, keep you in front. So I think they'll do a decent job tonight handling airports. As you said, Friday night uh, in San Diego against the Aztecs. So maybe a look-ahead spot. Um, but I think this Boise team, they just have so many weapons, so many options. They're so well coached. Uh, maybe a little sluggish early, but I, I think they'll do what they need to do to get the W. Tom Osters with us here on Cofield and Company. Mountain West slate tonight is really busy. It's also uh, one that features a game tomorrow night. You can find his stuff on uh, Mountain West Wire. He's got write-ups for all the games, really active up on Twitter as well, watching all the games, commenting. So I love tomorrow night's game. Uh, New Mexico goes against Utah State. Um, New Mexico is, is much better than they were a year ago, obviously, because of the two bigs they added to the roster. Utah State doesn't play great defense, but, man, if they get going from three and some of the matchups in this game, like is Alec uh, good enough to cover Funk on the perimeter? Uh, what's going to happen to little the Stevie Ashworth going against uh, Jalen House and House, you know, harassing him, bringing the ball up the floor? What a freaking game between those teams, both at six and three in conference. Yeah, so I'm actually uh, writing a preview up for that one. Um, I'll have it out on the site up tonight. But so my, my first thought is you, you might want to take the over, right? Because as you said, anybody who watched, and we kind of had this little discussion about it uh, after the game Saturday night, that the Nevada UNLV game was not the prettiest thing to watch because it turned into a, a, a bruising like wrestle, wrestling match. I think tomorrow night in Logan will be the opposite of that. They're going to just go up and down the floor. It's not going to be old style UNLV running Rebels, but you're going to see some free flowing offense. Uh, the defenses are, they're not poor but they're not up to snuff with San Diego State, Fresno State, Boise State. Um, and you have some offensive talent on both ends of the floor. Sure, Ashworth and Funk, deadly from behind the line. I will say that Alec in the game against New Mexico, uh, San Diego State when they won in, uh, in San Diego uh, a few weeks ago, uh, Alec was on the perimeter often guarding Bradley. So Ashworth might be a little quicker than Bradley, um, but Alec, you know, he will be able to guard Funk out there. I have a feeling Funk, he takes about 75% of his shots from outside the arc. So you don't really have to worry about him driving. So I think that might be something that, that New Mexico will be able to handle. Um, you know, we'll see if, if the Aggies can uh, get enough defensive stops to, to pull the win out. For all your Mountain West information, Mountain West Wire, really good stuff on football. And you, you, you need to go to that site because there's so much football information coming up here with the uh, – the late signing day at Coach Mosser is the Twitter handle. Follow Tom. Like I said, he's uh, he's tweeting all week long. Great spot, dude. Really impressive. I appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. I uh, appreciate you having me on. I love following your stuff, and uh, we'll keep in touch. Tom Mosser from Mountain West Wire. It's uh, MWC Wire, and uh, right now, as I mentioned, very important if you want to follow the football programs and all the commits. It's almost impossible to find you know good list of all the commits and the transfer portal stuff. So go to MWC Wire. Yeah, busy slate tonight around the Mountain West Conference. 
Uh, it starts off with uh, the game here, UNLV and Colorado State. That's a 6 o'clock Pacific. Boise is at Air Force at the same time at 6 o'clock. Air Force is catching eight in that one. Um, 7 o'clock start Pacific. FS1, Fresno is at Wyoming. Cowboys looking for win number two in conference. They're minus five. And then the uh, late night tilt on CBS Sports Network. In Reno at Lawler, Nevada host San Diego State. Want to remind you, we've got a cool event coming up in Vegas with the uh, Floyd Mayweather charity basketball game. That goes down on Saturday at Cox Pavilion. The uh, teams feature the Diggs brothers on one side, Team Mayweather on the other side. Gary Payton and Dennis Rodman are some of the coaches. Max Crosby's playing in the game, Cortland Sutton, Deion Dawkins, Cavante Turbin. Uh, scheduled to be there is Debo Samuel, uh, also Pac-Man Jones, Kayvon Thibodeau. So that's a pretty interesting tilt going down at the Cox Pavilion. That's coming up on Saturday. You can grab your tickets at TicketSmarter.com.